0: Welcome to EdTech Adventures. Join us as we explore the role of technology, STEM, and creative play in education. With expert guests, we'll discover how learning is always an adventure. How do we teach the teacher? What strategies work? And what gets in the way? Today, our guest, Elizabeth Bacon, will explore the complex world of professional development for computer science education. Elizabeth Bacon is the director of pedagogy at CoderZ, Previously, she served as Curriculum Development Manager for Co.org's CS Discoveries course. A former classroom teacher and school administrator, she has designed computer science courses for students from five to 18 years old and developed blended learning systems for students preparing to study in the United States. She is active in the computer science education community, Volunteering directly with students in local schools and community centers, serving on advisory panels for computer science pathways in Seattle area school districts, and presenting workshops on various topics around teaching and learning computer science. Thanks so much for joining our podcast, Elizabeth.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be fun.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. I'd like to start the interview with a simple question Could you describe a memorable education experience that you've had as a student?
1: Yeah. So I think probably one thing that really stuck with me for a really long time, because it was maybe, you know, like decades and decades ago was I had a third grade teacher who was just like the sweetest, most wonderful person in the world. And I remember we were doing science class or something, and we had these colored translucent films that we put over the things that we were reading. And the idea was that we were kind of figuring out like, could some colors make it easier to read or some colors made it harder to read if you put them on top? And we kind of took a poll and some kids like some colors and some didn't, you know, some like the other ones. And I had this. Idea that maybe it had to do with your color of your eyes, which looking back is kind of ridiculous. Like, if you know the way that the eyes work, it doesn't actually make any sense. But she didn't say that. Her name was Miss Higgins, and Miss Higgins didn't say that. She was like, Well, what an interesting hypothesis. And she actually collected data from everyone in the class and cross referenced eye color to the colors that they preferred to look at. And the data did not support my hypothesis. <laughs> but I think that what I learned about science and what I learned about kind of being open to new ideas and how you test theories and just that it's okay to have an idea and try it out. And you learn something, even if your idea was wrong. Like, I think that was a really impactful experience to me, clearly, since I remember it decades later.
0: I love how she validated your question, even though she knew the answer already. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I'm I'm sure she knew it was wrong, but God bless her. She stayed with me there.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've also been trying to teach my little one, just like, Hey, you never know until you try. Right. And so I yeah. love how she had that mindset already for you guys all the way back in third grade. <laughs> Could you share how you became interested in computer science education in general?
1: Yeah, I went to Northwestern and at the time, I'm not sure how it is now, but our computer science department was integrated with our learning sciences department. So I had already kind of been, I guess, interested in education. I think if you enjoy school, you're kind of like, this is great. You know, maybe I could stay in school and be the teacher or something like that. Like it's, it's always the the kids who really like school for the most part end up wanting to be the teachers. Not always though. And I think those are some special people who did not enjoy school and then come back and say, you know what? I'm going to make it better for people like me but I'd always kind of been interested in education and the way that our department was set up, I was able to take learning science classes as part of the computer science department. And it was less focused on computer science education and more focused on the ways that we use technology in education. So, you know, how does technology show up in the classroom? We did a lot of goal-based scenarios. So how can you create a computer program that will, you know, have kids grapple with the questions you want to, them to grapple with. And that was really, really fascinating to me. And then I ended up kind of leaving it all behind and just going to Asia and doing more like test prep stuff there just because I wanted to have my adventures but then after a while I thought you know what the coolest thing ever is programming and you know what's even cooler than programming is showing other people how cool it is to program so eventually it all came together I was working as an administrator at a K through 12 school in Los Angeles, and I was actually doing more college counseling and sort of helping support curriculum stuff. And then I guess the head of school got wind of the fact that I could program and invited me to volunteer on top of my other duties to teach a computer science class. And of course, being the person I am, I jumped on it and I just, I never turned back. Like teaching, teaching kids how to code, it's just the best. You know, you see their eyes light up when something works. You can empathize with the frustration things don't work. So when I had a chance to, I was developing these courses and then I was getting involved in the computer science education community in LA. And then I had a chance to do curriculum development full-time at code.org. And I was like, that sounds fantastic. (laughs) Let's do it. So I kind of left the classroom, but not really because I still get to volunteer in the classroom and, you know, still have student contact. You left the classroom, right? You still enjoy your student contact time when you can
0: get it? I do and I like any excuse to a talk to teachers and be be back in the classroom and talking to students and seeing how they learn and helping them I live for those days I will say the pandemic sort of got in the way a little bit I don't know if yeah. you felt the same way but we found ways to do like interviews with students to understand how they were feeling and also interviewing teachers as well but I can't wait to get back into the classroom to see how we can improve that experience as well yeah so we're talking today about professional development or PD. What do you think PD is like when it comes to computer science education?
1: Well, I think PD for computer science educators is a really interesting mixed bag because most of us, me included, did not have an opportunity to take computer science when we were in school. So we have a lot of educators who are, you know, wonderful educators and hardworking educators and they're for the kids. And have never taken a computer science course in their life, you know, did not get to play with Scratch or whatever when they were kids. And now they've got to jump in and it's quite a lift. It's quite a lift for us as adults sometimes, because, you know, if you're an elementary teacher, you learned your timetables a long time ago. So when a kid comes up and they're wondering about six times seven or whatever, you've got that down. But if you've never programmed before, it can be a little bit intimidating. So I think reaching out to those teachers who are new to computer science, who are willing to just take the leap and do that and helping them, you know, what is our in with these educators when they maybe aren't as confident in the material as they would be in other materials. So that's, that's one thing that we have. I think we have another challenge on the other end of the spectrum where we have a lot of people who came in from industry because they do have that content knowledge. And unlike other educators, they don't necessarily have the backgrounds in pedagogy. So there are a lot of things that, you know, kind of happen with excellent teachers that happen almost invisibly, like you don't notice all the problems that can come in the classroom because they just head them off before it happens. So watching a fantastic educator in the classroom is just like watching a magician. And the better you are at it, the less noticeable it is. So we didn't always notice growing up all the work that our teachers were doing and all the expertise that they had. And really trying to clarify that to people who are new to teaching can also be a challenge.
0: Right, and those are very... Different types of skill sets that you're trying (laughs) to teach. And I think sometimes, I don't know about you, we end up in a cohort where we have a mix of the two, right? So, how do you address both of those needs at the same time? What are some strategies that you've run into that seem to work?
1: That's such a good question because it's such a rough thing. But I think that one of the things that we've been really good at recently in education, or that we've at least been good at being more aware of, is understanding that our learners are coming in with a diversity of backgrounds, a diversity of experiences, and that rather than say, well, let's privilege my expertise and experience and don't worry about what you know, because I'm going to teach you everything now. How can we leverage the expertise and the experience that people already have? So when we talk about the content experts coming in with their content knowledge, and we talk about the pedagogical experts coming in with their pedagogical knowledge, sometimes we forget about that middle of the Venn diagram or I hope we don't forget, but sometimes it's, it's easy when you see these stark divides to maybe gloss over the fact that there's that intersection, which is the pedagogical content knowledge. One of the reasons it's been so easy to forget about that is that it's actually been pretty recently that we've really had good pedagogical content knowledge for K-12 computer science. You know, things came out just a few years ago, like prim, like you'll see prim everywhere, predict, run, investigate, modify, make. And when I first learned about it a couple of years ago, I was in a PD with a, a wonderful educator named Jane Waite. And it just like blew my mind. It was like, this is genius. And it was genius because it married a lot of the things that we know about pedagogy and how kids learn with a lot of the things that we know about how people program. So if we can really focus on that pedagogical content knowledge for, you know, certain aspects of computer science. I think that's where we see the experts coming together, one from the pedagogical side, one from the content side, and how do they bring their knowledge together to really support each other in not just knowing computer science and not just knowing how to teach, but knowing how to teach computer science. And that's been the most fun thing for me. Like anything that, I know Raspberry Pi, they put out their big book of pedagogy, which is fantastic. There's been so many cool things coming out. We talked at CSTA, the Computer Science Teachers Association conference this past summer, amazing workshops there from people who are doing phenomenal work. So there's just so many good things out there, but they really rely on that balance of the content and the
0: pedagogy. I also love how you said, you know, you sat next to someone, had a PD course and you exchanged knowledge and basically helped each other out. So it sounds like there's a lot of collaborative feeling to it when you do PD, right? Because then these experts from opposite sides of the spectrum feel like, hey, I have something to contribute and learn at the same time.
1: Absolutely. And when we look at the CSTA, the Computer Science Teachers Association, their standards for teachers, part of it is being able to continue on with your professional development and being able to maintain that identity and really to be part of this community. So when we do PD, it's not just about... You know, learn our platform, learn computer science, learn how to teach this. It's also, are we fostering a self sustaining community that can support each other and help each other out moving forward? Because, as you know, as someone who does curriculum and PD, you come in and you can do the PD for, you know, a day or sometimes even an hour, but then you're gone. And so, who's there? And we've got to keep supporting and developing our local leaders, you know, our school site leaders, and not not at a leadership, you know, sort of like I'm the boss level, but just that sort of community of people who can say, you know what? I was there too, and it was rough, or maybe it was a rough, you know, maybe I had a great experience and I'm going to tell you about that, but whatever your experience was and whatever it is, like I'm here for you. So being able to forge those connections in PDE so that we can continue on is a really important part, I think, of what we're doing when we work with teachers.
0: And speaking of connections and community, some PD is provided in-person and Mm -hmm. some is provided online and on-demand. What are the pros and cons of in-person PD versus online and on-demand PD? Well, I think from
1: every teacher who lives through the pandemic, you, you do know what the pros of in-person experiences are. I think that, and I don't have any data to back this up. So this is just an opinion. So caveat, you know, and but I feel like we are kind of biologically predisposed to enjoy being around other people in person. I think that there's something about being in a room with someone. I also think that it's easier to understand the space, like to be physically, where you are mentally and where you are engaged is super helpful. It's just harder to be engaged. I mean, we're, we're sitting here, I'm in my basement office right now, and we are on hopefully the last day of a teacher strike. So I've got a kiddo upstairs and that's all still sort on my mind. I can promise you if we were in the same room, it would be a little bit different. So I think being in person allows you the chance to immerse in a way that you're just not going to be able to do virtually. And that's even if you're doing virtual synchronous, like what you're talking about on demand is even more of a distance because not only do you have that physical location distance, but you have that time distance where I can't even really have a conversation with you, you know? So, so I think that in person, being able to forge those connections in person also means that for the most part, although this isn't always true, you're coming into a community that's already a community. So like I went down to Texas to do an in-person PD and, you know, I've done them in Orange County where it's like the teachers already know each other. They're in a district together. So really building on that community is super helpful. I think that when we talk about what we call like direct instruction or just content delivery, I don't think there's that big of, you know, of a difference in in-person or on-demand, but I really think of that community and engagement, it makes a huge difference. That was so long-winded. I don't know why it took so long to say that.
0: <laughs> that was a very simple answer that took a long time to say. I think it makes sense that you took a while to answer because it's a quite a complex question. And I keep going back and forth because I feel like the in-person experience. It's immersive. You can't really get away from that, but having it online and on demand seems to allow for more flexibility for yeah. teachers who do have a kid at home Yeah, and they can't leave for an eight hour day workshop. So I see the benefits of the two, but the community piece, I agree, can be difficult to kickstart if mm-hmm. it's only online, but I've realized that online PD, if it's ongoing to help Build that community. We're part of a group online, right? Of CS education people that allows people from across the U.S. or across the globe to stay connected, even though they're not in the same state or city. There's benefits to that as well.
1: Absolutely. And you know, with us, like there aren't enough people, I think, doing what we do in our respective cities that we can have that community. So I am really grateful that we can do these things online. So, yes, those are the benefits of in person. I think on demand, obviously, there are a lot of benefits for people who have time issues. Teachers are busy, you know, like it is is very difficult. I will say though, that one of the reasons that I do like in person when we're doing teacher PD is that it means the district has often said. This is your PD time. We've given you time. So sometimes on-demand PD means Saturday or Sunday evening PD, you know, after the kiddos go to sleep. I don't really like to do that to teachers, but I can tell you if we didn't have on-demand, a lot of teachers, as you said, just wouldn't be able to do it at all. Right. One thing you said that was really interesting to me, though, is about the kickoff. And I think that sort of hybrid PD has a lot of potential. I did something actually many years ago in in Vietnam because we didn't have enough staff or there wasn't enough demand to actually have a full program in both Hanoi and Saigon. So I went to Hanoi for a weekend. I did an in-person workshop. And then I went to Saigon for the next weekend, did the in-person workshop. Meanwhile, the people in Hanoi are doing on-demand things. So they did all of their stuff asynchronously on demand. And then we come back and do the wrap-up later. So being able to have that kickoff, like you said, and then do the on-demand, if that's possible, seems like a a good kind of compromise. But like you said, it's really the diversity of needs. And I think that one of the things that we have to do is understand that this is, PD is not going to be one size fits all and different districts have different needs, different teachers have different needs. So how can we provide enough opportunities that everybody can get what they need to do what they want to do in the classroom?
0: Agreed. I, I like the hybrid model myself as well. So when it comes to PD, the computer science standards, it's sort of lumped into two categories, right? So there's coding content knowledge, just coding skills in general, and also more general aspects of computer science education. We can talk about cybersecurity or networks and the internet. When you're developing PD, how much of it is focused on the coding content knowledge versus other aspects of computer science education?
1: Well, I think there's sort of like different ways that it's broken up. So I can tell you one of the things that we do with the New to CS teachers is we look at the CSTA standards for teachers. And they're actually in five categories. And only one of those categories is content knowledge. The other five are pieces around equity, you know, being able to do instructional design, pedagogical knowledge and things like that. When you're talking about the algorithms and the coding versus the other standards around computing, such as networking, some of them do dovetail a little bit. Like when we talk about the software development, so planning, pseudocode, things along those lines, it's hard to tell whether they fall into coding or not. So I I don't know if I have that much of a stark divide. But for me, with the PD that I'm doing right now, with the courses that we've created, the courses are aligned to standards. And so we cover those standards that are in the courses that we have. So if I'm doing a PD that's a little bit more general, like I've done since Seattle with elementary teachers, often interdisciplinary stuff will often pull one standard from computer science, one standard from sometimes it's ELA. We did a really interesting one with the choose your own adventure where they were doing a standard from ELA about the choices that characters make and how it impacts the story. And then we actually did flowcharts as our standard for computer science. So in that case, we really didn't have any coding knowledge at all. They just had to make the flow chart and they sort of had a framework in which they could work out the coding. So I don't know that it's really very specific about how much is coding knowledge versus the other aspects, because it really depends on the specifics of that PD. I can say that a lot of what we do in RPD is more modeling the modeling, teaching the content to the teachers and then debriefing and saying, okay, what are the pedagogical things that you noticed? So I taught this to you like you were a teacher, but how did I do it? You as an expert educator, you know, what sort of pedagogical aspects, what seemed to work well, what didn't seem to work well? So I don't know that it it can necessarily be teased out because everything is integrated all together.
0: I think it's interesting you use the word integration because it sounds like it's sort of where CS is heading anyways. Just like Mm -hmm. integrating it into different subject areas. And also, like you said, a large chunk of PD isn't just about knowing the information you're teaching but the how, right? How are you introducing it? How are you teaching it? So that's a really great point on that too. Also, we talked about how different teachers and different schools need different kinds of PD. And it brings up the question of how can we build PD that is equitable and inclusive for a wide variety of teachers and communities.
1: That's such a great question. And I wish that there were something that we could do that was like, oh, do this and you'll have an equitable and accessible PD. And the truth is, this is such a journey that we've been going on. We're both women in computing and we've both probably had our experiences of what you know that was like. If you're familiar with Jane Margolis's work, she did Locked Out of the Clubhouse, which is gender and computing. And then she did Stuck in the Shallow End, which is more about race and computing. So she was studying undergraduate women in computing science programs at the same time that I was an undergraduate woman in a computer science program. I was at a different university, but I read her book five years later and I was like, that's why I felt the way I felt, you know, like it just clarified so many things. You know, thinking about that, I think that one thing that we need to do is just recognize the systemic issues that are going on. And I think we have been doing a better job of that. And understanding that prior knowledge, for example, if a kid has gotten to go to coding club for three years, that kid is not a natural coder. You know, there are people who come into our PD and they just have prior knowledge, but that doesn't mean they're naturals. It may mean that they have just been you know, lucky enough to have the opportunity to do this before. So I think that part of it is if we're talking about equity, recognizing the strengths that everybody's coming in with, making sure that every single person is getting what they need out of it, but also trying not to have sort of a deficit model around PD. And I think some of the PD that I've seen around computer science does sort of have this deficit model. And I'm probably guilty of it too, where I come in and I'm like, the teachers have never seen this before. You know, it's totally new to them. They don't know anything. What other subject do you not know anything about? You know, how can we deal with this? which is true to a certain extent, but what's not said in that is everything that the teachers do know. So I think that starting out with our strengths. So one of the things that we do in our PD is we have a strengths inventory where it's one of the very first things that the teachers do. They write down, where am I strong? in my classroom, you know, what am I really good at? What are the things about what I can do that make me a good teacher? And then we go around and I love doing it in elementary because they'll go around and they'll talk about, you know, classroom management or they can engage the kids in this and this and this. And I kind of ask them because a lot of them are new to CS. So none of you said my strength is I really know my times tables or I got all my sight words down pat. Like I know all the second grade sight words. I can read cat like nobody's business. You know, nobody says that because that's not what makes you a good teacher. You know, that's part of it. Like if you could not read your sight words and you were teaching second grade, I would be a little bit worried. That's true. But that's not actually where your strength as a teacher lies so i think coming in with recognizing the strengths that people are bringing into it and identifying them and naming them and supporting them in understanding how their strengths fit together as a community and valuing that diversity of strengths and valuing just what everybody's bringing to the table is one important part of the equity piece i think that another important part of the equity piece if we're moving forward as a community is understanding and naming also you know what our kids are experiencing? You know, what is their experience of the world in coding? Because we do have a society that is inviting some people into this community and into the space and not really inviting other people. And whether it's intentional or not intentional, it doesn't matter. When I was in high school, like, they had computer science at my school. I should have taken it. There's no reason that I should not have taken it. Like it was so obvious that's something that I would want to do. I was the kid who was waiting for my turn at the math contest in the back row, programming my calculator to generate prime numbers. Like that's how geeky I was. And nobody said to me, Maybe you should take computer science. And they knew that's what I was doing. They were like, How about choir? Do you want to be in the school play? You know, dance class, which those are all wonderful things. I'm so glad I did them. But I was not invited into that space. And it was very clear to me. I had a really good friend of mine. She's now an engineer, software engineer. She also never took computer science. It Makes absolutely no sense. End of rant. But, you know, how do we recognize those biases for us as teachers and make sure that we're not perpetuating them? How do we recognize those biases for us as PD facilitators and make sure they're not perpetuating them? Because after all of that... I can kind of feel in my head, the same thing. Like maybe I just kind of assume that the man in the room would have more facility with technology. And I don't know why, because I'm a technological genius and I'm a woman just, I mean, just kidding, but, but you know what I mean? So I think that there are things that we can do and we have specific equitable practices and the CSDA has been good. CS for all has been excellent at naming specific things that you could do. There are really too many to count. But I think first recognizing that it's a problem and that it's a problem that we need to address. We didn't even do that in the 90s. Like that wasn't even really happening.
0: So yeah, I think that's a really great first step is just to acknowledge our blind spots. Yeah, And I love this idea of not people feeling what they're lacking, but Mm -hmm. what their strengths are and what they can give to their students, because that's such a positive mindset to move forward in your learning. And I feel you on that too about the recruitment piece because I definitely was not included in saying, you probably would like CES, Charlotte. No, I had to go seek it out myself. And we've had to develop an entire module in PD about recruitment about who to recruit and how do you be inclusive in that way of who's going to join your CS class, you know, who wants to sign up for AP CSP. So all these great strategies and definitely I agree, checking out CS for All is a great start looking at some resources. So looking forward, how important is professional development when it comes to the future of ed tech? It's crucial. (laughs)
1: Like, I mean, I I don't know what to say, like a hundred billion gazillion times crucial. <laughs> and part of it is that teachers have so much on their plate. We need to support them. They're doing really well. And the thing is professional development will happen because if we don't do it for them, they will be, you know, staying up late at night, trying to figure it out on their own, you know, it will happen. But the question is, is it happening in a way that's healthy? Is it happening in the way it's sustainable? Is it happening in a way that we're not going to lose teachers to burnout? You know, I see my kids' teachers working so hard. I see every teacher that I go into a PD working so hard hard. And I know that they continue to do these things at home. I know they're prepping, having a dedicated space for it, compensating teachers for it, recognizing that this is something that they're doing, I think is the missing piece because they're, and I hate to say they are going to do it anyway, because that makes it sound like we shouldn't have dedicated PD, but like they are going to do it anyway. And they might burn out if we don't provide space and support for it.
0: And we already see the negative repercussions of teacher burnout. You know, you're seeing schools just really struggling to just even fill in the necessary staff at their school. And I I think you make a big point that PD is the way to help teachers and schools figure out a sustainable path, right, Mm -hmm. towards implementing curriculum in computer science. Because if you can't have teachers that can be sustainable, you keep losing these experts after right. investing so much time and allowing them to build that expertise. I totally agree with you hundred percent or what you said, a million percent.
1: <laughs> I think I said a hundred billion gazillion. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. Consult a math expert. That's totally valid.
1: We're totally math people. Yeah. We're real
0: strong math people. Anyway, a gazillion. Yeah. Trust us. The math works out. And then what advice would you give to someone then who is developing professional development for computer science educators? Where can they start?
1: I would say if you're developing PD for CS educators, look at the standards for teachers from CSTA. What we do, because you and I are, you know, in programs that have a platform, so there's A platform that is providing something to the students. We have our PD that is, you know, supposed to filter out to the students and we have our other curricular materials that we create that's supposed to filter out to the students. And what we want to make sure is we want those all to align to be a fantastic student learning experience. So my advice would be to start with imagining what you want this fantastic student learning experience to be, And then pull back from there and think about, okay, these standards for teachers, how do those support that fantastic student learning experience? And how can I support teachers in experiencing what it feels like to be in a fantastic learning experience? Because... I think that, have you have you ever been to a PD where it's like a three-hour PowerPoint presentation about why you shouldn't teach with PowerPoint presentations or, you know, something something along those lines where sometimes everything that we know about learning, we're kind of like, oh, but they're teachers. We'll just boom, 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 PowerPoints you know? So I, I would say, think about what you want the experience to be. How do you get the teachers to experience that? And how does that align with those standards? But it's a lot of work. I mean, when we're creating a PD that's maybe six hours, we'll spend three weeks on really developing that PD and thinking about the specific experience, what are our learning objectives for the teachers. Teachers are smart and they understand what makes a good learning experience, so you better make it a good one for them. I would say put those learning objectives up on the board because that's what they expect.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I say this over and over again, but teachers make the worst students in a way, because we're often as we're taking a class evaluating, wait, I would have taught yeah. this differently. <laughs> X, Y, Z. You know, we can
1: leverage that. How, why, you know, and that's the expertise that they're bringing into the room. So if they're saying I would have taught this differently, tell me, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> well, h- how would you have taught it different? Well, that's a great idea. Maybe I'll do it that way next time. Or maybe, you know, give them a chance to get up and model some things. And this is the leverage that experience in the room where we can say, okay, I'm gonna model this student experience for you how would you have taught it differently? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? You know, when I come into a room of teachers as a PD facilitator, I'm not the expert in the room. I'm not the expert at being a classroom teacher. I am a dabbler at being a classroom teacher. You know, I I go and I volunteer once or twice a week. So I'm a dabbler and they are the professionals. And I really rely on them in those discussions to bring in that professional expertise. What can I bring? I can bring in these frameworks. I can bring in, you know, the research stuff, maybe they haven't had time to go through all these research papers, but yeah, I work with a great guy named Wade and he is more kind of the on the ground person where I'm more like the academic, like pedagogy. And so I was like, yeah, there's this new pedagogical approach and it's called semantic waves. And we're going to teach them all about it. And he's like, okay, tell me about it. I told him, because. That's just good teaching. (laughs) I was like, yeah, but now there's a framework.
0: (laughs) So you see. Yeah. It's like, do they need to know the framework? Like, they just do good teaching. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, it's nice if we can, you know, we put
1: a name on things. This is how it works here. But, You know, from my experience, I know what you're saying when you're like teachers can make challenging students, but I think that in a way they do make the best students because they are experts in learning. They know exactly how people are supposed to learn. And if we come in ready for that challenge, ready for them to say, you know, really, you could have said it like this or (laughs) or really maybe you didn't need to spend that long on this or this is that thing. And we come in respecting that expertise rather than trying to like, you know, one up. And I'm not saying you're trying to one up, but but I think that's where you have these really rich experiences. I come out of every PD that I run with so many more ideas from the teachers. And it's really such a blessing to be able to go into a room with all of these experts in a field that, you know, we've all dedicated our lives to. You go into a room with a bunch of people that are like, you know what I want to do? I want to build a better future. (laughs) And then listen to what they've learned about how to best do that. It's a really great experience every time.
0: I love how you use the word facilitator instead of instructor, because I think that really helps you go in with the right mindset that you're not there just disseminating information. Like this is how you do it. But like you said, you're in there learning with them too. And just really facilitating a conversation to see how they can use their strengths to build out an implementation plan for the curriculum. And then moving forward from there, what advice would you give to someone who is interested in advancing their professional development for computer science education? So, a teacher or or another educator out there.
1: Well, I know I keep bringing up CSTA, but it's because I think it is a really strong organization that you know has been in the trenches for a while. Here, they actually do have a list of professional development that they've approved that they believe uh, you know has these high quality markers. So, what I would say is make sure you know what you want to learn out of the professional development, because you know, some PDs, they're gonna be just for a particular program. And if you don't wanna run that program, probably don't do that PD. Scratch has some great PD events where you can go in and have some great ideas. You know, are you looking to just do an hour of code and to try something with your students? Are you gonna deep dive? Like, are you gonna be a full year classroom teacher of computer science? Well, your needs are a bit greater. So, and I would actually advise people if you haven't already to join your CSTA chapter, you're gonna get a lot of advice there. They have meetings, a lot of support. So reach out into your local communities and see what's available. But just, you know, as we talked about before, there's such a diversity of needs for people who are coming into PD that I think you really have to start with what you want to get out of it and see what's out there that can meet those needs. And the CSTA will definitely help you find that. I would advise going to their annual conference because it's going to be virtual next year. So it's going to be easy to get to. I am not a paid shill for CSTA. They have just been super helpful to me.
0: (laughs) That's where Elizabeth and I connected and yes. it's such an awesome experience. Like you said, just nerding out with other people who just want to build a brighter future for kids. Exactly. So yeah, yeah, I think that's great advice. You know, reach out to your community and identify the objectives you have and how to advance your skill set. And it sounds like, regardless of what that is, there's plenty out there for you. Yeah. There's so much out there.
1: Like go, go, go to that website, go to the CSCAPD website. There is a giant list.
0: That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much for joining us, Elizabeth. I've learned so much and had such fun having this conversation with you.
1: Yeah. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. It's always great to talk to you, Charlotte.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to EdTech Adventures. Please subscribe to catch more of our episodes and leave a review to support the show. For more resources and info, visit us at CodeCombat.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Chang. We'll see you on our next learning adventure.